0: The Q Affair. While some similarities to living people may exist in your mind on reading this novel, it is a work of fiction, so it's your problem if you have people like this in your life. Chapter 11. Spring wore on and summer edged closer. During the day, I was usually hard at work at a boring and badly paid job, which I was very glad indeed to have it all, since so many in Ireland were still finding it hard to find any work after a huge collapse in the housing market worldwide having reached Ireland. There was not much recovery in sight years later, despite how the unemployment figures were being massaged by the government. They used local employment schemes and free courses for the unemployed to keep the unemployed off the register. And show that employment was booming again, even if nearly everyone you knew was on a course or a job experience stint unpaid. If I was not working, and I didn't always know whether I would be or not, since it was a zero hour contract type of deal where one waited until the last minute to find out how many days work there would be in the upcoming week. I was keeping busy with work in my little council house garden or outside taking a walk, or maybe bringing a sketch pad out to see what there was of interest to paint, first doing sketches and taking photos outside, then working away on a canvas, trying to get down what I'd seen. I was grateful for what I had, and loved my little garden and house, which made up for unrewarding work elsewhere. I hadn't worked as an artist for some years, but still enjoyed keeping a hand in sometimes, even though the results just weren't as satisfying to me as when I'd put in more hours at it in the past. To be excellent at something, one has to do it a lot and think about it even when not actually engaged with it. I was a dabbler and split my time between various hobbies reading a bit and still enjoying writing posts on my blog about things I'd been reading or content I'd taken an interest in on YouTube, I was, in short, not an important person like Desiree. But at least I knew it and was happy enough in the knowledge. Desiree, I knew only too well by this time, was an accomplished and expert liar who was thinking about what lies she could tell her subscribers next to make herself ever more important in their minds, while still in the middle of putting one over on them. You could always see when she was thinking fast, because she got a rather glazed, shark-eyed look to her, although the grey eyes only turned black when she had become very angry. Sometimes when a memory about the stalkers came up, and sometimes because of something she didn't like that someone had been silly enough to venture an opinion about in chat. Her chat was often silent for a while when she got angry, as subs wondered what she wanted to hear that would restore her humour, or just get her angry about something political instead of them. Usually a remark about those damn Democrats could turn things around quickly and take the focus off them a bit. But if she was particularly angry, she would stab her finger at the screen and shout that she knew all about the person. Oh, yes, because they had emailed her to tell her about themselves. Sometimes the person's real first name was mentioned as a sort of warning to behave. And if they apologised at that point and told her she was right about whatever point she'd been making before things flared up, she'd calm down and resume her story. She knew she could muster up support with little effort when she played the helpless old lady card and took out a framed picture of her daughter as a child in a little sun bonnet to pull at heartstrings. It would indeed have been heartless to question the veracity of a grieving mother, clearly heartbroken herself, bravely holding back the tears while showing the framed and mildewed photo. It was, I suspected, an added boon for Desiree that most subscribers didn't want to be insensitive enough to ask questions concerning the mode of murder. And Desiree never provided any specific details on how it was carried out by the stalkers, preferring to leave the question hanging in the air with her subscribers afraid to ask in case they would be ejected from chat like the others who had foolishly put questions to her about this topic or, for that matter, about anything else. I had not turned up anything online about a murder, but what I did find after a while, proved to me that Desiree's daughter had died by her own hand rather than at the hands of a stalking gang. A memorial page I found initially was one that had been created by Desiree but as I searched over the course of a few weeks more results began to appear and eventually I landed on a page that the daughter's friends had put up and was surprised to see that the daughter, Hope, had left a suicide note. Her friends were posting links to suicide hotlines and comparing notes on how she didn't give much clue when alive that she had been depressed, but the long note gave all the reasons that convinced you that here was a woman who couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel and who was depressed in the all-or-nothing way the depressives do so well. It was sad because all the photos of her, she was smiling. I didn't linger too long on the page the first time I looked at it, suicide not being exactly a fun topic to be researching. I was more sure about Desiree though, that she knew what she was doing and that it was calculated to advance herself as an important targeted person in the eyes of her subscribers, one that was worth listening to and donating to to fight for justice and help you learn to discern what was true and what not. I presume she got a huge amount of satisfaction out of the deception, but wondered whether it constituted full-blown insanity to go to all the bother of deceiving so many, to even want to, or to imagine that you could and get away with it. I could see why it was so important to her to sell her lies to her subs, because it was the whole basis of her money-making efforts, this sympathy she earned through her lies, that she managed to measure her success by translating the gullibility, as I think she saw it, of her subscribers into cash and donations. She was of pension age, but from her stories about the factory work, where she said she had sustained nerve damage to her hands, I gathered that it was some decades since she had worked, and that she was on some sort of state pension or disability to meet her basic needs. However, with the little extra money required for the news channel, she needed the sympathy generated by the tragedy of her daughter's death which the murder lie was tacked onto clumsily like the fleece backing for her quilts to provide support for the stalking story and thereby transfer the daughter's sympathy ration over to herself, hopefully with cash transfers from pity too. Because the surviving and grieving mother, enduring years of stalking, deserved this after the loss of her daughter, To the murderous thug gang. It didn't seem to occur to her that subscribers might wonder how she had survived, evading an international gang of expert stalkers for so many years after the murder of Hope. The madness lay in the details, I thought to myself, and perhaps many of the subscribers missed those. Americans are sometimes, perhaps quite unfairly, taught a tad naive by Europeans, and there were often sniggers at things American tourists said when they turned up to embarrass themselves loudly around the streets of Dublin or some other European city, asking directions, using mangled pronunciations of street names. Or famous writers mentioned on museum labels as they took indoor tours of museums in their shiny baseball jackets, like in the *Train Spotting* film's pub scene, where the naivety of visiting an unfamiliar and rough-looking pub led to one unfortunate getting fully fleeced, shiny jacket and all. It was very much a feature of their naivety to insist they knew everything and you nothing, Being European. And often, when asked where where you were from in someone's chat, if you went on to disagree with anyone's opinion, no matter how polite or reasonable you wished to be in trying to open up a debate in the admittedly very limited format provided, it was conveyed in some way, often rather directly, that this was because you were an inferior European and were just jealous of the greatest nation on earth. It could go the other way, too, if you agreed and seemed pleasant to them, not always as desirable a situation as you would think, because you were then likely to be treated to a mention of an Irish relative or Irish place, which often turned out to be someone or some castle in Scotland. I blamed their school system largely for their unreasonable levels of confidence, having been there for a few months on an exchange programme. While still an art student, and discovered that a B grade was rarely handed out to students who fully expected an A for anything they gave up, no matter how shoddy the work. I'd little other real experience of Americans up close and personal to go by, except one boyfriend's family who'd been from Boston and moved to Ireland. But I was familiar with the tourist hordes that descended to look for castles in the middle of Dublin each summer, and wandered through the towns and great cities of Europe doing the same, with hopefully a McDonald's to discover as well, to get their 10,000 calories a day in, without a knife or fork having to be employed on any native cuisine, in the unlikely event of not finding one. It was a limited view then, with a lot about them damn Yankees. It's a musical, folks, not a curse that I just didn't get, and a lot about me that they couldn't understand either, as I was to find out. A new debate wasn't de rigueur over in De La Lune's place, by now, and she drove the point home for the benefit of any new subs arriving, each time she repeated that her truth fleet was her living room. Not a debating club, but I wasn't in any danger of being invited over there anyway. I lurked about, looking in the window, metaphorically stalking her channel, as I could still watch her videos and listen to her talk about the trolls of YouTube, of which I now was one in her eyes. Eventually, of course, she had to mention the blog. It was becoming better known around her channel, as more trolls were ejected by her wrenches and turning on her while out and about posting comments on other channels, or even posting clips of her shouting about them, calling them trolls and even paedophiles. They were part of the international gang too, those trolls, and their time would come as the law caught up with them when her daughter's case was reopened and the police flung the whole gang in jail. That filthy troll blog got dealt with in one of her long narratives. And she informed her sobs how spine-chilling it had been to discover it suddenly, just the night before. She hadn't been able to bring herself to do much more than glance at it, she wearily informed us. Such was her shock. But she could see it was filled with lies. Why? The gang, of course, trying to shut her down and stop her using her freedom of speech by spreading disgusting lies to cover their own activities. But she would not be intimidated, and she was more determined than ever to expose the culprit behind the filthy blob. She knew who it was, recognizing him the minute she saw the poster. This was written by one of the killers that Russell hired to finish her daughter that night. A man with no soul, ruthless and totally without pity. The man called Bob. Bob, I wondered. Then I remembered Bob Coventry, who was supposed to have been hired to work for Rick Russell, the killer. He'd had some other name on the Jesus Christians forum, I had discovered. But I knew who she was talking about. In fact, I knew more about all the gang than any of the subs she had regaled with juicy stories on them for months, between her political musings on the demon Democrats and personal campaigns against channels she didn't like, or ones promoting channels she was keen on and was hoping would support her back by giving her a shout-out too, maybe even getting some subs her way. The post was swept under the carpet quickly, to my surprise, as I thought she'd linger over it, trying to refute the evidence that was all too clear from other places I'd linked to, that her story was all nonsense. Even on her own blog, written during the period of the few years after Hope's death, we could clearly see that the stalkers consisted of anyone that she had ever run into and just didn't like. After some sort of falling out. Even family members got added to the gang, with the blog naming them as murderers and literally naming them by full name in a long list of murderers who had been stalking her daughter even while very young, attending school spelling bees and undercover as music teachers and pastors, all kinds of people who turned out to be killers working together to stalk her wherever she went. She had moved a lot, talking about fleeing the gang, and I noticed that some of the old videos I found were set in different apartments. I presume she got off the blog topic quickly because there was too much in it for her to deal with or manage for her. In talking about it and refuting each detail which was at odds with her claims, she would essentially be just drawing more attention to the fact that she had lied and bigly, Hitler, I believe it was, that claimed you could get away with the lie if you went really big on it. And that seemed to work for him for a while. But would Desiree be able to maintain the huge lie she had told and built up walls of lies around to defend the lie about Hope's murder? Tension had been high, admittedly, on her channel because of the discovery of my blog and the attempts to keep its discovery under wraps I suspected also by her extra eyes and ears, the loyal wrenches, who were bound to have spotted comments about it while out and about on other channels' comments. Desire was in contact with her wrenches daily, in emails back and forth, and on several videos she encouraged them to be on the lookout for trolls and report back to her. I named them the Flying Monkeys during this period as they were swooping into various comment sections to harass people in other content creators' chats or comments on her behalf. The enthusiasm with which they undertook the assigned task started to create a potential problem for Desiree. As she was smart enough to realize after a while that it might be counterproductive to her narrative that she was a defenceless old lady at the mercy of trolls, if her subscribers became well known as trolls themselves. So Desiree was forced to tighten the reins on her best little dragons, like Neo Matrix, her most foul-mouthed and favourite chief wrench, who had once told me she didn't want to scissor with me. Good to know. She put out one of her instructional videos on the topic, telling them not to attack people on the other channels, as she might be in danger of losing her channel through their actions. Jazire's videos were starting to get struck. This meant that people were making complaints about individual videos, because things she was saying about other YouTube subscribers were breaking YouTube's terms of service regarding harassment and bullying and the complaints were being upheld when the moderators assessed them. If the truth fleet got a third strike, her whole channel would go. Things were serious, and they called for serious measures from her. Desiree decided to put distance between herself and Neo, who she considered a liability with her foul mouth as she kept shooting it off both in Desiree's chat and elsewhere, and people were not appreciating being on the receiving end of it one bit. Comments, if offensive or harassing, could be reported, just as videos could. Desiree called Neo out in a video to set an example to the others, and Neo took umbrage and retaliated, not being the type to lie down, scissors or no scissors. She complained about the quality of plant pots she'd purchased and wanted her $30 back. Nothing would dissuade her from arguing about having her money back, even calling Desire a thief at one point. And a new avatar also appeared in chat now to argue the case as well, who we gathered might be a partner. And we found out she wasn't gay after all, because it was her husband. This we learned in the next live stream, the preceding night, because Desiree read out one of the Neo's emails about the plant pot, making sure to include her full legal name and her husband's name as well as the city they lived in. This was an excellent example of the doxing I was referring to earlier, that phenomenon I'd not understood until I saw it carried out regularly on Desiree's channel. It was a favorite way of going big on bullying someone because the recipient of the doxing was supposed to be panicked, thinking that a horde of angry subscribers loyal to Denise Desiree and stoked to a rage by her narratives were about to descend en masse into one's real life and create chaos there, like internet vigilantes sticking up for a cause no matter how unworthy dispensing whatever justice they saw fit. I was to be on the receiving end of this doxing phenomenon myself, by her, and it was because of my trying to prove that I was not the hired stalker, Bob. Neo was shocked, of course, although a rather nasty piece of work herself. Clearly, nothing was beneath Desiree. And even those she had fawned over and reassured that they were like family to her could see that now and knew that they would be crucified if they threatened her precious channel or went against her in any way which displeased her. It was all getting a bit real where it had been all stories that didn't affect them personally much before. This hit them where it hurt and put them in fear. Desiree had no empathy in her psyche anywhere. Most subscribers couldn't understand that. But I could see it clearly, having read about her past actions and anticipated where her behaviour was headed on her channel. It was painfully transparent once you glimpsed it. I think some of her subs must have been so desperate for love that they would have overlooked almost anything. She abused them terribly at times, deriding their views whenever they had the temerity to express any views of their own in chat, or flattered her too much with praying hand and heart emojis posted in the chat, sure to make her testy. She even called them suck-ups one night when the love fest aimed at her got on her nerves. And someone said the wrong thing to her, helpfully suggesting she call the police to report a troll she'd been complaining about. In a rare slip-up that resulted in truth tumbling out, she admitted that the police would just tell her to go home because she had nothing real to report. They all went quiet, wondering what was the right thing to say and chat at that moment. But they stuck around and were still there in the next live stream saying, poor Desire," at what they hoped was the appropriate moment. Nobody so much as mentioning Neo-Matrix, that persona non grata, who they perhaps feared mentioning, lest Desire shout at them again. I decided, rather naively myself, I have to admit, that if I were to make a video myself, the stormy seas the truth fleet sailed on might calm slightly because I could show that I wasn't the stalker Bob, but just an ex-sub who had done some research, as she'd wanted us to do, and put up a blog post about it. I suppose I was an honorary yank that day, in my naive optimism, because it didn't work out so well. I wasn't the shy type, having done some teaching, and well used to rattling away in front of an audience. So I spread the word around the ex-subs, And did the live stream that night. It was no big production as you just pressed a button on your channel that said go live and your webcam streamed you from your living room or wherever you were live streaming from. I remember it being a sunny summer evening and wearing a green t shirt. Well, here I am, folks, I said, as you can see, I'm not Bob. I'm not even a fella. I could see people commenting in chat so the button worked, I thought, although there was a little flashing icon on the screen that let you know you were recording, and the screen changed to show you so that you were looking at yourself with the chat on the right alongside. I'm sure all narcissists adore looking at themselves for so long, but you can feel like you're a hypnotized chicken after a while. And after talking away about why I did the blog post for a while, I began to get my trademark look with my eyes wandering off the screen, looking into a corner to think or up at the ceiling, looking for the next word. It was odd to rewatch afterwards, but I became used to it soon as I made many more videos responding to her rage. For a while after that first live stream, I was almost her only topic as it just fueled more anger, that I was not Bob, but this uninteresting little middle-aged woman that wasn't Bob instead. It hadn't come as a shock, as her subscribers naturally believed, though, because after the live stream, when I got a chance to read everything that was in the chat area properly, I could see her there, saying, Hello Donna, lol. She had found out my real name somehow, and nobody in chat knew. She knew, I knew though, and oh boy, did I have a feeling she was going to let as many other people know as much about me and my personal life as she could on her videos. And then she was going to try to get to know me much, much better in real life.